right, so I want you to imagine for a moment that you tuned into this uh, Zoom sermon and uh, you heard an inspirational message about what the bread of life really means and you know that that that's what the gospel passage was all about today and we uh talked about the the, the scriptures the bible that that is our food that is the the bread that we eat and let's say you listen to this great message about how important the bible is and you're convinced that the Word of God is the Word that we need to live by, and you're convinced that this is the real living bread. And you kind of take that message, and then you go off on your own way, and you're still kind of left wondering, okay, now what? Okay, uh, I, I know that the bread of life is the Word of God, and I know that I need to live by the Word of God. I need to live by the Scriptures. I need to live by that food. But the next question is, how do I get engulfed into that Word? How do I really live by the Scriptures? How do I read the Scriptures? How do I uh, understand it? How do I uh, interpret it? How do I even set a practical plan? What should I read and how should I read? And all of these questions should be the very next thing on your mind. That once you truly believe that the Word of God is the living bread, it is the bread of life, the very next question that we have to ask ourselves, okay, well, how do I make that bread of life a consistent meal that I am feeding on? every single day, that it becomes my life. Okay, so these are some of the questions that hopefully we can answer today. And I'm going to dive into this matter in the most simplistic and practical way. For us to see this this concept of, of integrating the scriptures as a core component in our life, in a very simple, practical way, okay? How can we approach the scriptures in a practical way? How can we just read in a practical way? How can we set together a plan for us to just be consistent and have a constant discipline in that in the, the word in the scriptures in, in a very practical and simple way? So I'm telling you, it's not going to get any simpler. It's not going to get any more practical than the few points that we're going to discuss today as to how we can read the Bible and how we can make the Bible a reality in our life. Okay, so the very first thing that I want to tell you is the approach matters. Just like you're going to approach anything in your life, the the very beginning kind of sets the tone for everything else that follows. I remember when I was younger... And this was a long time ago. This was when I was, I was still in Egypt. And uh, I, I was like in kindergarten. You know, they teach you some very simple things um, like, like addition or subtraction, something like that in 
um, in school. Um, and, and at that time, I hated math. I still kind of do now, but <laughs> I really hated math at that time. And I didn't know how to really learn this subject. And uh, I, I remember I was complaining to my uncle and he took it as an opportunity to, to play a practical joke on me. So he said, listen, um, obviously this is all in Arabic, but I'm not going to give you the Arabic version of how it really happened. But he said, look, if you want to really learn this, um, you take your book and, and everything that's in it. You know, at that point, we just had like a little packet. And he said, before you go to sleep tonight, put that under your pillow. And once you sleep, and you put your head on your pillow and the book is kind of like right under your head, your head is going to absorb all that information and you're going to learn everything. Next day you're going to wake up and you're going to know everything in there. So like to me, I'm a little child and I'm like, that's awesome. Like it does not get any easier than that. I love sleeping and I just want to throw this book any, anywhere anyway. So I might as well throw it under my pillow and sleep and problem solved. So obviously I... Did that, and the next morning, to no surprise, I'm not any smarter. <laughs> I don't know anything else, but my, my uncle just took it as an opportunity to laugh at me. And I, I kind of looked back at that, and as silly as it was, we sometimes think that we, we ought to approach the scriptures in, in a mystical way, almost like the Bible is supposed to be magical. But... We don't propose that the only way for us to really approach the scriptures is um, like as if it's something mysterious or there's something magical about it. Like if I sleep with my Bible under my pillow, I'm going to understand everything. But we can't go to the opposite extreme either where we think that if I really, really, really study this topic or the subject, I can grasp it. And any secular topic, any science, we have that approach, right? If you're studying biology, uh, you're not um, studying it in the same way that you study the Bible. You study biology knowing that you can grasp that science. It's, It's a secular science. And there may be some complicated concepts in biology, but it's always a matter of you putting your head above the topic and approaching it from that perspective. But when it comes to the Bible, we go about it in the exact opposite way, right? We go about it in, in faith and humility, okay? So we, we need that faith to know that it is the scriptures that work in us. The Bible works to give me understanding. It is the Bible that reveals itself to me. The Word of God itself is what transforms me and moves me and changes me into the likeness of Christ. And once I have that faith, then I could submit to it with that sense of humility. But I really need to believe in in the power and the, the the... reality of the, the scriptures as 
a transformative mystical power that God gives me. This is what St. Paul says. In Hebrews, he says, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there are so many verses in the Bible that constantly validate its own significance, right? Because the Spirit itself is working through the Word of God in the Scriptures and it is the Spirit that's constantly reminding us like every word in here is important for you to live by. So if I truly believe that I approach the Bible in the most simple way and I come and I read it in a way that God will give me understanding, obviously not like it's some sort of magic like I told you in the story of me sleeping with my uh, math book under my pillow, but God will work in His love and in His grace to give me understanding and that requires so much humility. And for us as academics, for us that live in this society, we approach everything with this sort of intellectual and academic approach and we we think that we're going to grasp something, we think that we're going to come and dissect it and know every part of it and then we belittle the, the, the sacred nature of the scriptures whenever we approach it like that. But all of the fathers, the ones that knew the Bible inside and out and knew the Bible more than anyone else are the ones that approached in humility and, saying, and said, God, only you can give me understanding. Only you can reveal yourself to me and I, I will commit myself to this discipline. And if I do that, then I have faith in the work of the scriptures. I have faith in the work of God's word in my life and I continue to commit in a consistent way, right? That's what will avoid this sense of inconsistency that we almost always have. A lot of times we, we, we listen to a message about the significance of the scriptures and then we're inspired and we read and then all of a sudden what happens? We just go through this slump or this dry time in our life when we don't even pick up the Bible, we don't even know where our Bible is and you know, I, I even, I, I remember going on some visitations and I, I would ask the family to bring the Bible and, um, you know, to, for us to spend some time reading something together and the family wouldn't even know where the Bible is. I mean, for us, we, we, we know that there's a challenge there, but if I have faith that this will transform me, I will approach it in a way that acknowledges my need for it, right? Like imagine if in this quarantine, all of the grocery stores were shut down, okay? Now, let's say you just had like a whole bunch of food, like beans and PB&J, whatever you had for Lent, was still stacked up in your pantry, Let's say, like, you know, we're still fat, we're not fasting now, but let's say you didn't have any meat or chicken or whatever, and all you have is just some fasting food. Are you going to say, well, I'm not fasting, 
So I'm not eating that. <laughs> I mean, you might really push yourself to wait until the grocery store is open so you can eat something better. But at the end of the day, you know you need it. You know you need food to live. So if I acknowledge that need, if I truly believe, like St. Paul says, that the Word of God is alive and powerful, if I truly believe that this is the bread of life, even when I come across some situations where I don't really understand or seems boring or it's a struggle to really open my Bible and read, I know that I need it. And the biggest reason that I don't read the Bible is because of my pride. Because in a sense, I think that I'm okay without it. I don't really need it. it it's this delusion of, of autonomy. Like I am self-sufficient. I can go without this. I'm okay without this. I'm good, no thanks. It's complicated, it's boring, whatever. So the very cure for my inconsistency is that faith and humility to acknowledge my need for it. If I don't realize that need, I will never be consistent. Because I'm never just going to read day to day, nonstop, for years, with this like passionate joy every time I open the Bible. There are going to be some struggles. Okay, so again, recognize that need. Recognize that this is a powerful necessity, something that I must live by. That's why he says, I am the bread of life. And, and bread is not just like a type of food, but it is the symbol of what food as a whole really is. Right? So that's why he chose bread. He could have said, I am the meat of life. And a lot of us would have been like, yeah, that, that might be a little bit better, but he chose bread because th- that, that's the symbol of what food really is. And we even use that nowadays when we say, like, I work all day and night so I can put bread on the table, right? That's a symbol of I, I put food on the table. I provide for the needs of my family, right? So this is a, a, like a non-negotiable component in our life. So I have to have faith in that and I approach it with humility and submit to it. The next component that I have to keep in mind as I approach the scriptures is that the scripture is written a little bit differently than any other book. I'll give you an example to explain what I'm really getting at here. Imagine that Pope Tawadros announces that he's coming to America and he's going to visit California and he's going to visit L.A. throughout his little route. A lot of us would be like, okay, cool, we're going to plan for it, we're going to attend. Now, think for a moment that instead of Pope Tawadra saying, I'm going to go to visit L.A., he says, I'm going to go visit Father Joseph. And then, you know, he posts or tweets, or whatever the Pope does, and maybe even he calls me personally, and he says, I'm coming to visit you. Now, before, I would have still been excited to go see the Pope, because I know he's coming to my town, but if the Pope was to come and, and, and say, like, Father Joe, I'm coming to see you. You are the objective. You are the goal of my travel. You're the goal of my journey. I'm coming for you personally. Everything changes. I'm going to prepare for that visit totally differently. I'm going to 
have a different type of joy, I'm, I'm going to, at least in my heart, be convinced that this visit is more meaningful. The scriptures are no different. The scriptures are the personal words or, or that personal message that God has for me personally. Okay? So think of it as like a handwritten letter. Think of it as God not writing to humanity, but He's writing to me. And if I don't realize that, I devalue the scriptures. They become less personal and insignificant. So I really need to believe that. I really need to believe that God cares for me on a personal level, that He wants to give me His words. He wants to give me His message. St. Augustine says, the Holy Scriptures are our letter from home. It's almost like if you're gone for school. Let's say whenever you're in college or grad school and you're in a different state or whatever, uh, back in the days, mom and dad would have to write to you. Like now we call, text, FaceTime, whatever. But back in the day, you would have to get a letter. And uh, that letter, the letter that comes from home is so much more significant because there's like that personal component to it. Like this is from my family. This is something for me personally. It means the world to that person. So, I want to share with you the way Metropolitan Callistus Ware puts this. He says, To open and read this letter is to enter into a personal conversation face-to-face with the living God. Whenever you read the Gospel, Christ Himself is speaking to you. And while you read, you're praying and talking to Him. So here he's quoting St. Tichon. He says, Christ Himself is speaking to you. It's a personal letter. He continues to comment on these words. He says, Such exactly is our Orthodox attitude to the reading of Scriptures. I'm to see the Bible as God's personal letter sent specifically to myself. The words are not intended merely for others, far away and long ago. But they're written particularly and directly to me here and now. Whenever we open our Bible, we're engaging in a creative dialogue with the Savior. In listening, we also respond, speak for your servant hears. And here he's quoting Samuel. Whenever the Lord called to Samuel, and Samuel thought that Eli was talking to him, he didn't know that God would call for him personally. And he kept going to Eli. Eli, you called me. It's like, no, I didn't say anything, dude. Like, go back and sleep. <laughs> and then the second time, he hears God's voice, but he doesn't recognize and he goes to Eli. He says, you called me. He says, no, I didn't. Go back to sleep, man. Like, you keep waking me up. It's, <laughs> it's not working out. Just go back to sleep. Forget about it. The third time, he says, no, like, you really called me. I heard my name. What is it? And at this time, Eli was like, oh, I, I know what's happening. God has something to tell you personally. God has a message for you. 
Next time you hear his voice, when you hear your name, tell him, speak for your servant hears. Here I am. And, and those three words are the most powerful words that we can say whenever we open up our Bibles. We say, here I am. I know this message is for me. A lot of times, we ask questions looking for God. We look for where He is. We look for His destination. But the real question that we ought to ask is, where am I? Bishop Callistus Ware continues to say, a lot of times we ask God, where are you? But in reading the scriptures... God is the one who's asking us, where are you? And if you remember, this was the very same question that God asked Adam and Eve. Because they had no idea that God would seek them personally. So they heard his footsteps and they hid. They were hiding. And God says, where are you? He says, I heard your footsteps. And I hid. And, you know, he was ashamed. He said, I, I, I was hiding and, and God says, who told you you were naked? He says, because I rec- recognized my nakedness and that shame because I separated myself from God. But when I am united with God, that communication is so direct and personal where God doesn't need to ask me, where am I? I'm, I'm standing face to face with God. I know where He is and He knows where I am. Because now we're engaged in a personal relationship. Father Matthew the Poor says, When you read the Bible as a personal message to you from God, the words find their way to the depths of your conscience and spiritual sensitivity. You read with a spiritual awareness, your heart being open, receptive, and ready for obedience and joy. Now, I don't know about you, but for me, it, it totally changes the way I read the Bible whenever I recognize the personal nature of the Scriptures. And, and I, I need to be engaged in it, to put myself in the events, to put myself in the place of the disciples and the people that... He heals, and whenever the Pharisees have dialogues with him, I need to put myself in there and be involved because it's about me. The scriptures are not so much there to reveal who God is, but it is to reveal who we are to our own self. Right? This is how Father Thomas Hopko explains it, and it, it, it's the reality. The scriptures are for me to find myself. And that takes a little bit of humility. It takes the humility to to recognize that, oh, this warning is not for my friend, it's for me. And I know a lot of times, like, if if I'm talking about a, a certain sin in a sermon, let's say I'm talking about judging others, and a lot of people will be sitting in church listening to a sermon like that. And I'm saying, you know, it's not good to judge and we shouldn't judge. And judging others 
is offensive and it, it it's it's hurtful somebody might be listening to that and saying man i wish my friend was here to see this because he keeps judging me and he's a terrible person and he and the whole time instead of taking that message on a personal level as if it's directed to me i'm directing it to someone else i'm kind of like dodging it because i don't have the humility to just receive it saint mark puts it in the most simple way he who is humble in his thoughts and engaged in spiritual work when he reads the holy scriptures will apply everything to himself and not to his neighbor god says do this do that in the scriptures i don't think about oh So-and-so, they really need to read this part. They really need to do this. I I listen to a sermon. God is speaking to me. And I say, oh, that message is for him. But the reality is he's speaking to me. So if I have that humility, I approach the scriptures as a personal message to me. And I don't approach it in a selective sense. A lot of times we think that we can approach the scriptures like it's a buffet line. You know, we come and we say, uh, this, that's good, I'll take that. This, oh yeah, that's really good, I really want to eat that. That, no, 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 I don't want that. And then you go to the next one, I don't want that. That's a little spicy, whatever, I don't want that. And then we kind of pick and choose what we want to eat and what we don't. Scriptures isn't a buffet line. Everything is for us to take, with wisdom of course, But we can't say, oh, um, sing to the Lord and shout to the Lord. That's good. I love singing. I'm going to sing. But then the scriptures tells us to love your enemies. Nah, that sounds a little tough. That's not for me. Uh, Forgive those who offend you. Nah. (laughs) Or the scripture says, bless those who persecute you. No, 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 no. If somebody persecutes me. I'm going to give it to him. (laughs) That's not for me. That's for the weaker guys. So we get a little selective because the humility isn't there to just receive it. This is a very, very simple and practical way to just approach the scriptures. Another component that we need to really keep in mind is reading the scriptures through the lens of the church. Okay? And again, this requires faith and humility. Those are the two I'm going to continue repeating. Faith and humility. Faith to recognize that the church is the authority by which I can interpret the scriptures. Right? I need to believe in the Spirit working in the church. I need to believe that the Spirit is guiding the fathers and whenever the priest is telling me to apply the scriptures in one way as opposed to another, I I set aside my own personal opinion of how I want to interpret things. And I believe in the power of God, the power of the Spirit working in the church to reveal the meaning of the scriptures to me. And once faith in the church disappeared in a certain time in history, in the Protestant Reformation, we had everybody interpreting the scriptures on their own terms, in their own way. And what you have is heartbreaking. 
it's truly heartbreaking where we have over 30,000 different denominations. Why? Because everybody doesn't have faith in another entity, another authority explaining what this or that means. So they want to have that individuality. They want to have the, their own autonomy to interpret the scriptures on their own, based on their own opinion, on their own terms. And if something is triggered by the way I'm putting it, I hope you're thinking that that sounds a little prideful, right? When I want to interpret it my own way, I want to understand it on my own terms, I want to apply it with my own individuality, and I, I want to look at it with that pride, then I will stray from the truth. And that's why it's important for us to have that humility to, to seek the, the truth from the church. And for me to really seek the truth from the fathers of the church and how this passage is interpreted requires me to say, yeah, my own mind, my own intellect, that's nothing. I want to have the mind of the fathers. I want to have the mind of Christ, which was revealed in the church. It takes a lot of humility to say that. If you remember the story when Philip came across the Ethiopian, and he was reading Isaiah. And he went over and Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? This Ethiopian, he wasn't even a Christian. But he had the humility to say, how can I understand unless someone guides me? Look at that humility. And a lot of times we think, okay, we are, we're Christians. Oh, this part means this. Uh, we come to some difficult components in the scriptures where uh, they could be interpreted a little subjectively. And some churches say something like, oh, you don't need to confess to a priest. Or the Eucharist, it's just a symbol. But the church is clearly telling us that the scriptures mean something else. That you do need to have a father of confession. That you do need to partake of the Eucharist. That the, the bread and the wine on the altar are not symbols. They are truly the body and the blood of Christ. You're not going to have this spelled out in the scriptures in the way you want to see it, but again, it's what the church reveals to us. If I have that humility, then I remove my personal bias and I submit to the higher authority of the church. This is what allows me to apply the scriptures faithfully. If you really, really, really want to apply the scriptures faithfully, then remove your own personal bias. If you want to be committed, if you want to be a real Christian, then set aside how you feel about this verse or that verse. Set aside your own personal bias and say, what the church has taught me, I will submit to that. And I know it's tough because we're raised in a society that continues feeding us this message of individuality and having your own creativity and independence and you interpret things like you do you. It's not the Christian path. James tells us to be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Right? We just hear what we want to hear, then we're going to do what we want to do. Right? And that's where the, the conduct of Christianity becomes very selective. A lot of times even... You look at heresies, 
that are founded in the scriptures. If you look at something as terrible as Arianism, when Christ, when, when, when Christ was nothing more than a creature for Arius, where did he get that from? He got it from the Bible, right? He got that from the Bible where he just took some verses out of context. That's why whenever I don't see eye to eye with another Christian and they're, they're trying to point to something that we should do which seems to oppose what the church is telling us and they're trying to prove it by a verse, I don't even get engaged in that, in that whole verse to verse battle because they're using a different lens than I'm using. At the end of the day, unless we're using the lens of the church, then we're fooling ourselves. I want you to always keep in mind that when we approach the scriptures, we need to have real expectations. We have to read with real expectations. What does that mean? That means expect to have highs and lows. Expect to have highs and lows. And I kind of pointed to this a little bit earlier. But a lot of times you're going to find that the scriptures are sweet and that the scriptures are bitter. Just a few examples come to mind. Like Jeremiah, for example. He says, I found your words and I ate them. Again, reminding us that his words are the bread of life. And he says, I ate them and your words became joy and delight for my heart. David says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And Ezekiel, even in this case, we find him literally eating a scroll. Okay? He eats the word as, it is, as if it is bread. He says that, that this was like honey in his mouth. The Lord told him, Son of man, feed your stomach and fill your belly with the scroll that I'm giving to you. So I ate it and it was like honey in my mouth. A lot of times we read something and it's just so powerful, so motivating, so encouraging. But I have to tell you the truth. A lot of times we eat something and it's a little bitter. We eat something and we can't even digest it. Like it's boring and it's dry. It's almost like an overcooked piece of meat. Like, you know, whenever you go to like... A, 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 a certain azuma or something and and like you know how Egyptians like to really really cook their meat <laughs> and you get a really tough piece of steak and it's like so dry you bite into it and you're like this thing is not going down <laughs> a lot of times the scriptures are like that a good example that comes to mind is Saint John uh, and in Revelations he experiences something like that he says a voice this is when he was speaking about this experience. A voice I heard from heaven spoke to me again and said, Take this little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. He says, So I went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, Take and eat it, and it will make your stomach bitter. But it will be as sweet as honey in your mouth. Right? So here again, this sort of irony. And he says, Then I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. Right? 
So expect to struggle. If you open the Bible and you expect to just be on cloud nine every time, you expect it to be easy to be consistent, you expect it to be easy to find meaning and clear explanations every single time, regardless of whatever you're reading on every single page, that's unrealistic. Expect it to struggle a little. And that will set you on the right path to read the Bible. Also think about our expectations based on God's terms. And again, that requires a little bit of humility. But a lot of times we feel like we haven't made any progress. We haven't really understood anything. And because we're struggling to to grow on, on the pace that we expect, then we lose that hope of continuing and we lose that consistency. So expect to progress, expect to receive illumination on God's terms. And whenever you read with that level of humility and say, God, I will grow on your terms. I will understand on your terms. I'm going to do my best and I'm going to try to read the commentary and ask servants and priests and those who know the Bible to explain those things to me and I'm going to continue to dig and, and to really understand. But if it doesn't come, if I'm not transformed, I'm going to continue patiently and the, the progress will come on your terms, not on my terms. That's what the, the spirit of humility is really all about. Now, I want to just wrap up with a couple of points on putting together a reading plan, okay? So, let's make this very simple. For starters, everybody is different. So, we need to have a personalized reading plan. So, I cannot stress the significance enough of just communicating with your father of confession. You have a father of confession? Ask him, what should my reading plan be? When should I read? What should I read? How often should I read? And that will personalize your routine. You can't just go to the gym and say, I'm just going to do these random exercises. They may not be the best for you. Okay? And it's as foolish as doing that whenever we go into the scriptures and you know, one day we read for like two or three hours. And then we don't open a book for a couple of weeks. And because we're not setting real simple and consistent goals that are going to come from our Father of Confession, we want to keep it very basic. And on that note, in keeping it basic, we need to prioritize. Okay? And I don't mean that some parts of the Bible don't matter. But we do know that some parts of the Bible require a little bit more attention. So we need to prioritize in that sense. So Father John Myandarf says, if one takes the liturgy as a guide, you, we kind of see this come to life whenever we use the liturgy as an example. It says the Bible is not read in a uniform collection of equally holy texts. There's a certain hierarchy within it. The New Testament, read during the Eucharistic liturgy, is the fulfillment of the Old, and within the New Testament itself, the book containing the four Gospels is the object of special and direct veneration 
not accorded to the rest of the New Testament. Right? So we, we even give a higher attention to the New Testament and more specifically the Gospel as like the foundation, the core. It's kind of like the, the main course. Okay? We still need everything else. But if I haven't read or if I'm inconsistent and I'm not really in a constant discipline for a while, then I need to go back in a very simple, practical approach, obviously with the guidance of my father confession, to maybe just read one chapter of the Bible every day. Just one chapter. If we do that, one chapter a day, you will finish all four Gospels in three months. All four Gospels have about 89 chapters. And that means in one year, you will go through four Gospels on four occasions. That means you will have read 16 Gospels in one year. That's a very good healthy diet. And you could supplement that. Supplement that with the epistles, apart from the Old Testament. But again, that needs to come through the guidance of your father of confession. Also keep in mind, as you're reading and putting together this reading plan, your pace matters. Okay? A lot of times we read slowly, and other times we read quickly. If we read slowly, it may be for study and for meditation. If we read quickly, it is to know the Bible and to be familiar with the Bible, to have just a consistent intake of our food that, that we need to live by. If, if you have a very tight schedule and you wake up in the morning, you don't have a lot of time, you're not going to be able to spend an hour to study the Bible and to really research and dissect different parts of the Bible. You may need to just have a different pace and read one verse and do that a little bit quicker. Maybe if you're going to read a chapter in the morning, you can read that a little bit quicker without really dissecting it and studying it. But you also need to read slowly and to study, and, but that comes at a different time. That comes maybe whenever um, you have some time to unwind at night or something like that. So keep Keep in mind that the pace of how you read, whether you're reading to study, whether you're reading to memorize, is really, really important. We, we, we as Orthodox Christians have the Bible integrated in the core of our spiritual life, in the core of our liturgies and our sacraments. But unfortunately, we're heavily criticized to be a church that is not biblical. Because other churches may really focus on memorizations. And we need to memorize the Bible. We need to know verses. But again, we don't do that just for the sake of showing off what we've memorized. But we do that in order to keep the words of the scriptures on our mind. If you remember, in the very first temptation that the devil um, um, went to Christ with, on the Mount of Temptation, he said, if you are truly the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. How did he respond? He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That is from the Scriptures. 
right? And every other temptation, the devil was using to misconstrue the scriptures, but Christ would respond with the appropriate use of scriptures. Because he knew the Bible, right? I, I, uh, I remember a very funny story with, um, from Father Thomas Hopka. He would always say this in a few different sermons, but um, he was talking about his kids, how uh, they would really know the Bible because they were attentive in church and they would go regularly. And uh, he said, whenever I would go to, um, to put them to bed and tell them, you know, it's bedtime, it's time to sleep, they would recite the Psalms and say, I will not give slumber to my eyes or sleep to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord because <laughs> they wanted to just stay up. Or whenever he would try to like wake them up early and time to go to um, a certain appointment or whatever, they would say, it is vain for you to rise early, to rise up after you're sitting, you who eat the bed of grief while he gives sleep to his beloved. <laughs> so it's funny because we, we may use the scriptures from our own bias and kind of twist it for what benefits us, but memorizing the scriptures is beneficial. We just use it the right way, and if we use it in a sense that transforms our life. There's so many resources, apps, uh, so many um, websites and, and commentaries that are available. You have all of the fathers that are practically free all over the internet. So use that to, to really, you know, get yourself engraved and engulfed in the scriptures. And, and that's ultimately what we ought to dedicate our lives to. Um, Father Matthew the poor, when they asked him why you went to the, the desert to be a monk, typically monks will say, because I wanted to, to, to pray and to just meditate. For him, he said, I didn't have enough time to read the Bible in the world. Right? And St. John Chrysostom says, we need the Bible more than the monks. Because the monks have other services and things that hold them up on their own two feet. And they don't have the temptations that we have, but we, the ones that are living in the world, need the Bible more than monks. We need to be reading more than monks. So keep that in mind, and I hope that these steps kind of give you a simple and a practical approach to, to have a real consistency and discipline with reading the scriptures. And glory be to God forever and ever. Amen. Alright. So we have several questions. Is there a recommended method plan to read the Bible in a year? Or is it better to read according to the season or feast? So to be honest with you, I mean, this is a wonderful question. There's, there's no right or wrong answer. But typically, what, what is right is what will give you better consistency. And again, this will depend on the guidance of your father of confession. But for some people, reading the Bible once a year is you know, actually not enough. I know some people that read uh, like an entire book every day. 
And for them, like putting it off throughout a whole year is not enough. But for other people, a year is like crazy talk. Like I need a couple, two, three years to, to get through the Bible. So it's hard for me to say that you should just be consistent and continue to grow. I mean, a good balance is to at least have one chapter of the gospel every day. And if you supplement that with two chapters from the rest of the scriptures, then what you will do is by the end of the year, you will have read the entire New Testament. So that's just three chapters a day. And obviously, like I told you, you'll cycle through the gospel accounts in just three months. So you will have read everything outside of the gospel accounts in the New Testament entirely throughout that year. And you will have read all four gospels on four different occasions. So that's a very good goal, just three chapters a day, right? And then also you want to supplement that with the Old Testament as you continue to grow. Um, right now, the, the, the joyful season is, is a little bit different than Lent. So we read different um, passages and we focus on the Gospel of John, for example. So that's, that's good. We should definitely try to be more mindful of the season. And if you can focus on the Gospel of John now, it's better, right? Because it keeps your mind consistent with the progression of the liturgical year. But again, that's not mandatory. Okay, so uh, I know that was a vague answer because I don't want to give you an absolute yes or no, this is better, that's better. Um, But I mean, there's nothing better than just following the guidance of your Father of Confession for your reading plan. The next is, how do you stay focused as you go through the chapters of genealogy? Are there chapters in the Old Testament that can be skipped? That's an awesome question. (laughs) We all struggle with that. So, like I mentioned, not all chapters should receive the same amount of attention. Not all books should receive the same amount of attention. But we don't necessarily disregard them because I have read some commentary on the genealogies and the scriptures that I'm telling you until this day have just blown away my my understanding of who God is. Like how how you study the genealogy of where Christ came from and how um, certain people in that genealogy were prostitutes and what that really meant for Christ to come from a line that contained a prostitute or Gentiles. So it tells you that Christ came not to just parade His own glory over us, but He came for those who were outside the, the, the chosen people. And He came for the outcasts and the Gentiles because He Himself came from that sort of lineage. There are so many examples of hidden jewels within these very difficult and dry parts of the Scriptures. What I would tell you is just don't get stuck on them. Brush them through whenever you're just reading. If you don't understand, just continue, move past it. 
And if you can study, then go back and study and see where you might actually find like a hidden jewel hidden in the midst of this mess of names and stuff. But that's why the commentary is very, very important for us to use. Okay, so I wouldn't say just forget all about it, but brush through it, move right past it whenever it's difficult. And then God will give us more understanding as we come back to it at the right season. Like I have read some stuff in the past that I hated or just confused me and like, like totally irritated me. But now some of those passages are very dear to my heart. But I didn't get stuck on them. I just moved past them. God will give us that revelation in due time. Next question is, from today's gospel, what was meant by they were not a little comforted? That means they were disturbed. That means that they were like irritated by the event. Next question is, how can we escape those thoughts and feelings that God's words of hope, comfort in the Bible are directed to someone more worthy of me? Well, we, we always will struggle to find the direct application of the Bible to, to me on a personal level. But if you think of the objective of Christ's ministry was to restore that which was lost, you see like the central parable in the gospel accounts is in Luke 15 when he talks about the prodigal son. In that same chapter, whenever Christ is seeking the lost sheep, he's concerned with the sinner. The heavens rejoice more over one sinner that repents than 99 righteous. He's not, he says, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He came for those who were outcasts. He didn't come to just justify everyone living righteously. So the objective of reading the scriptures is to find our intimacy in Christ. And to see that on a personal level, not that I need to be worthy, but that He actually cares more for me when I am far than in any other condition. That just should totally change the way that we read the scriptures. That whenever I am far, grace is actually increasing. Like St. Paul says, where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Right? So he cares much more and his words of hope and comfort are more so applicable to me than anyone else. The next question is, when reading the Bible, what source should we use to help interpret the meaning of what we are reading? So, a wonderful basic source is the commentary uh, series from Father Tedros Melody. Um, uh, and, and that's a good Coptic source, but there are other wonderful sources from the patristic. St. John Chrysostom is a very good, deep, uh, spiritual, theological, early church father. Um, and all his commentaries are available online. You could just search um, St. John Chrysostom and the commentary for the certain book. Um, you could also use uh, Father Lawrence Farley's series, which are very, very simple. 
Um, the ancient um, scripture commentary series is very good as well, although it's a little bit dense. Um, but those are some resources for you to use right there. Um, it's, it's also good to just have your Orthodox study Bible and some notes in there um, are sufficient for, for you to find explanations for some of those tough concepts. All right. The next question is, how do you suggest us swallow Bible verses that seem outdated, such as the ones about slavery and menstruation? So we always have to look at the Bible in context, right? Just because something seems outdated or it may seem just flat out wrong or absurd does not mean that I should disregard it, right? Um, right now, you tell um, a wife to be submissive to her husband in the 21st country, uh, country, in, in American country, in the 21st century, that seems outdated, right? Oh, that's old, traditional, whatever. No, 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 no. That's in this, it's scriptural. It applies 1st century, 21st century. Um, but some things do need to be modified and, and to be understood in the context, right? And that's where we look at the spirituality of the, the scriptures with that context and the wisdom of the fathers. And that's why I mentioned from the very beginning that we need to have faith and humility to submit to the authority of the church, which reveals to us what verses need to be understood with a grain of salt? What verses may have been um, just fulfilled in the Old Testament? You know, some of the purification laws are fulfilled in Christ. So we don't really adhere to that. But again, which ones that we modify or adhere to literally or symbolically, some verses like, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. We apply that spiritually. There's something allegorical to it. It's not a literal commandment to cut your arm off. But then if I go and pick and choose what I want to apply metaphorically and literally, oh, my whole life's going to be a mess. <laughs> it's going to be a very prideful sort of Christianity because I look at the Bible on my own terms. And unfortunately, it's heartbreaking to see so much of this Christianity in our culture today. Next question. Any tips on how to let go of our control and pride and put everything in God's hands? That is a loaded question. <laughs> I, um, well, I'm still working on that, so <laughs> I can tell you that it's really a product of faith. Um, there are some people in my life that I trust to such an extent that they could tell me the most absurd things, and I say, like, I know who you are. I know you're wise and you 
you have the mind of Christ, you are mature, I'm going to do what you're telling me. Um, of course, n- not in the case of you know hearing something absurd, but obviously those type of people that are mature are not going to be the ones that are telling me something absurd. Um, they just might be telling me something that's a little tough to swallow. And um, we, we see that a lot in marriages where... The husband and wife just trust each other. When even when something doesn't make sense, they let go of their control and their pride and say, okay, I trust you. I, I know that your intentions are good and you want to do this, I'll do it. Now, I don't know who's more trustworthy than God, the one who created us and died for us. That's why Abraham didn't hesitate to go sacrifice Isaac. Because it wasn't, an ordinary man on the street telling him to do that. It was God who had proven himself to him before. God proved his love and his providence to to Abraham when he cared for him on the very first day that he left his own home and wandered away into a strange land. And at that point, he dedicated himself to him. He let go of his own pride, his own control and say, whatever path that you set out for me cannot possibly compare to the path that I set out for myself because you are wiser, you are more powerful, and you are more loving and you want the best for me. You're going to tell me to do things that may oppose what I want to do or what I see, but I know for a fact that my sight is limited and your love is greater. So why wouldn't I say, forget what I think, I just want whatever (laughs) you're telling me to do. And we grow, we grow in that process. Now, let's see the last couple of questions, if we could brush through them. If not, we'll stop here, because I don't want to stay after our uh, time together. Is listening to the Bible, such as the Bible app, equivalent to reading your Bible? So in the past, a lot of illiterate people knew the Bible inside and out because they heard it all the time in church. So, for starters, I would say there's no reason to discredit the power of just listening to the Bible on the Word. But I can tell you, and this is a fact, the more senses that you use and the more senses that are engaged in whatever activity that you're doing is going to translate to more retention. That's why when you study anything, you read, you annotate, you highlight, you study, you remember where certain book, uh, certain passages are in some pages of the book, whether it's on the left side or the right side, and all of that just gets your whole being engulfed into the Scriptures. And also, it's typically at a time when you're more directly dedicated, more specifically dedicated to the Scriptures, because you open your book, you shut everything out, and you read. Whenever we're listening, we tend to be multitasking, okay? So it's a little different. So again, try as much as you can to actually read and and read in a physical book. It's important to use a physical book because that will help engage your senses a little bit more. But use the time when you're in the car to just listen to the Bible. Why not? That's awesome. Use the time whenever you're just doing chores in the house. You just have the Psalms playing in the background. And... We put the Psalms and the Gospels, like 
right up there together as um, at the top of our priorities and what should receive the most amount of attention. Alright, so we'll stop there just for the sake of time. And um, again, if you have any other questions about resources or anything that may help practically um, guide you in, in your consistency in reading the scriptures, please feel free to reach out. Talk to me, talk to your father of confession. But I hope the message today was very simple and practical to just approach the Bible with faith and humility and to be consistent, to set a very simple and practical reading plan with the guidance of your father of confession and hopefully that will give us that daily sustenance, give us that daily bread which we need to live by. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Let's all bow our heads to pray and we'll conclude.